Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio, where comics and politics meet. This is your host, Ilana Levin, and this is the sort of comics podcast where award-winning journalists and inspiring organizers go on and talk about things like HBO's Peacemaker series. Yeah, that's our topic tonight, Peacemaker. And as Peacemaker himself asserts, there is never a bad time to rock. We will begin. Joining me, Spencer Ackerman who is a journalist and author of Reign of Terror, How the 9-11 Era Destabilized America and Produced Trump, out now from Viking. And later this year, we'll co-write a Suicide Squad miniseries for DC slash Black Label. Welcome back. Hi, Alana. Great to be back. We loved talking about Suicide Squad with you. So um, I feel like as soon as I started watching the show, I began frantically texting you thoughts. (laughs) I can confirm that. (laughs) And joining me again is Jamel Bowie. He is a columnist for the New York Times Opinion section, and now also a podcaster in his own right for Unclear and Present Danger podcast, which I'm really looking forward to checking out. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Yeah, our our X-Men Dawn of X Hawks Pox podcast episode was like a really, really great pleasure. So I'm excited to see you. And you know, who's been gone even longer from the show is my third and final guest. Caden Mack is an extremely online person who has spent the past decade organizing people for racial justice, leveraging many aspects of technology and pop culture. Most recently, he was executive director at 18 Million Rising. Welcome back, Caden. Ah, it's very good to be here. I was really excited uh, to get your message asking me to join you to talk about Peacemaker. Um, and I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, for real. I, uh, you know, I want to start with a really short because there's so much meaty stuff to discuss. I, I want to start with a short sort of should folks. I mean, obviously, we think folks should watch the show because we like the show and we took the time to record it. But I want to do a little bit of a spoiler-free endorsement of the show before we get into the full spoiler thing because the thing with a show like this is. Lots of people are watching it, but it's not completely ubiquitous in the way where, you know, if I'm going to cover a Marvel movie, I'm going to presume everybody's freaking seen the thing. Um, you know, I, for one, was, I had some trepidation about the show. You know, I loved the Suicide Squad movie uh, a lot, as we, I think we referred to it as Starro, the Cuban embargo metaphor from space. Um, embargo the Conqueror. Embargo the Conqueror. Thank you. I... But I felt at the end of the show that like literally the last character that I wanted to see a TV show with the redemption arc about was Peacemaker. I was like, God fucking damn it. And, you know, partially I'm like, okay, I like James Gunn, so I'm going to try this out anyway. Um, But I hadn't prioritized it. And then I saw uh, texts from like five different friends saying, Ilana, there's hair metal on the show. We think it's important for you to know this. Um, And that's when I checked it out. And as much as I had some reluctance around another like white male antihero starring in a show in which he learns how to love, I'm like, fuck, man, if you're going to have an opening number that featuring non-professional dancers dancing their heart out to like a really fabulous modern glam metal song with utter conviction and just thoroughly camp, you know what? I'm here. I'm here. And so I watched the show and I stuck around and I've really loved it. What, what, what do you, you, how do you guys feel about the show in terms of its appeal for people who might be questioning, is this the show for me? You know, I think that 
unlike the Marvel television shows, which to my eye are all kind of cookie cutter, like they all kind of go through that the same sort of similar process and I think have a lot of the same kind of flaws as the movies do, Peacemaker um, is like uh, unmistakably a James Gunn uh production mm-hmm. um, it is very much him and i think very much his uh, aesthetic and his concerns come through and i think for that reason alone it's worth watching it's sort of it, it's sort of the closest thing to like an autorist superhero show um that's out there and that makes mm-hmm. it i think kind of just an interesting watch it's also i think very good it's it's very entertaining um but it's you know some of the Marvel shows are entertaining too. I think this is this is a bit meatier and just kind of visually and it's visually distinct in a way that the, the other superhero shows really haven't been so far. Certainly the best soundtrack of a show since the Luke Cage season one show, which was at that point like the best soundtrack on a TV show in I don't even know how long. So yeah. Spencer, what's your what, what's your pitch for the show? So for this whole podcast, understand that I am walking a line with like figuring out how much I get to say about a Suicide Squad franchise, right? Like, <laughs> so so bear with me if I seem like restrained. That's why, like, I don't want my book to get canceled before it comes out because (laughs) I've accidentally like talked about characters who I, I can't even like confirm or deny that I'm writing. So keep that in mind. Like that's, that's not to say that any of these characters are going to be in it. But like, after I saw the show, I was trying to figure out how I could make like a reference to, Leota out of bio and make her canon in the DCU. So thank you. I really, I really like this show. To speak to Jamel's point about how James Gun about the James Gunn of it all, I have never seen James Gunn do a TV show, and I didn't really know what I was gonna get. I didn't know how long, you know, like with all the Marvel shows, particularly like with the Netflix Marvel. A lot of the critique you'll remember was that like. Each of these sh- each of these seasons are like three to five episodes too long, so mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know what they would do with you know a, a, a TV season. This really was about as perfectly paced as I could have asked this show to be. It moves extremely fast, but never too fast to be tender. So it like in that sense tonally reflects hair metal as well as, you know, being informed by it. Um, I'm going to leave you, Alana, for all the, you know, informed discussion of of hair metal, because I'm not equipped to have that um, (laughs) discussion. So I'll leave it there for now. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so ecstatic to have the opportunity to talk about something that covers my great loves of D-list super villain and superhero characters from DC glam metal and like people having problems with masculinity and also fighting the KKK. Like that's, 
that's pretty much what I'm looking for in, in any kind of media experience. So I, I feel very catered to Caden. What's, what's your sales point for the show? Like what made you excited to watch it and why would you tell other people they should? Uh, you know, I, I think Spencer's point about the pacing is really, I think the first thing that sucked me in, like the, it, if you watch the pilot and you're like, give me more, you're probably going to end up like me and watch the entire series in a weekend. Um, mm-hmm. I had a really hard time putting it down. And I think the way that it's, the way that it's written and the way that the plot kind of unfolds or rather, I mean, there's like the main plot. And then there are these, this variety of subplots that are about like, each of the characters' relationships with other people in their lives and the way that those are kind of folded together, I think really kept me hooked because, I, I mean, I'm used to now these TV shows that are like, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to this one subplot, right? And that's fine, that works, but I think one of the things that I found really interesting about the way that Peacemaker is paced, and this is the thing to me that really worked the best in terms of like, drawing me in as a viewer is that you get like little snippets of each subplot in the pilot and they're kind of all interleaved Mm -hmm. um throughout the arc of the season so you never are like stepping away from peacemaker's drama with his dad to go deal with adebayo's uh challenges with her partner you know like there's there's those things are happening in parallel in a way that feels like immediate and uh you know, there, it felt like there was, there was like tension there for me between those things that like these people are being pulled in these different directions. Um, and I really appreciated that. Mm. It's really well constructed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess I would just flag for folks. If you are not having a moment where you're cool with watching a lot of graphic violence, it's probably not a great moment of the show, but um, I felt really comfortable with the vast majority of things, although not all. And we'll certainly be talking about some of those during the spoiler section. And um, I don't feel like I've been this electrified to talk about a TV show in a really long time. So I think, I think from here we say, go watch the show, go watch the entire show if you haven't, and then come back and listen to the rest. Cause from here on, we're just going to be completely spoiling the entire story. So just know that now make your peace with it. And now, oh God, I didn't even mean that. Okay, whatever. Now this is the spoiler section of the show. So here we go. I truly think that the intro, uh, the dance routine is the, I, I, I don't even know of another TV show opening that has done so much with it. Um, I, I do believe that anybody who sk- hits skip intro when watching Peacemaker is probably a butterfly. Um, because not it's unfair to butterflies. They're I know. not what you think Actually, they are. I, that's true. They're not where they think. <laughs> you know what? Like, I want to. I want to just talk about glam metal, but I'm just going to jump in in here. What do you guys with with the whole very end? What do you guys think of the decision to have <laughs> the butterflies? Who you know, I, I fully expected there to be an inversion of the uh, alien invasion trope and have them actually be good, especially with the whole butterfly being like a metaphor that's been really embraced and used by the immigrant rights movement in a lot of Mm -hmm. I know a ton of people with a butterfly in their social media handle because they had to work in immigrant justice. I was like, the the butterflies are going to be good. And then it's like, oh, the butterflies are going to try to save us from climate crisis. And then no, actually we're going to kill them because of free will. How do you guys feel about the politics of that? 
Just start. Oh, there's the a, there was a lot of back and forth for me with the butterflies. And I mean, in particular, I this is maybe also a place where like I'm feeling particularly sensitive about the way that Asian Americans have been treated really over the past couple of years, especially in this country. The fact that like the sort of the individual butterfly that we get the most of happens to take over happens to body snatch the visibly asian american character made me feel a little mm. (laughs) um it's interesting too that i've been working on this project writing about the sort of model minority myth and you know the ways in which there are these tensions between in in like mainstream u.s culture seeing asian americans as simultaneously these sort of like harmless allies of white supremacy and also these like super threatening alien outsiders but i did find that like that moment hit weird for me just especially you know the the incidents of violence just in the past week against asian americans especially asian american women yeah made me feel a little uncomfortable but i'm i'm still kind of turning that over in my mind and thinking about about this question about uh you know people or in this case creatures that come from without and have claimed to have benevolent purposes but that we as humans might not be super down with that just because we would like to choose our own destiny or at least like to think we can choose our own destiny. Mm. I don't know. It is something that I'm, I'm kind of still turning over in my mind about the show and still struggling with a little bit. Yeah. You want to go Jamel or should I? I'll go. It's funny. I don't think the show ever gives you kind of like an, like an objective view of what the butterflies are up to. And so you, I think viewers end up being in the position of trying for trying to like kind of figure out for themselves whether or not they believe the butterflies are benevolent or sinister. Um, my own view, I don't know, it's like tough. My view after finishing the series was that the butterflies are like there was the the benevolent explanation given by the the um the key butterfly goth uh, in particular goth it was not clear to me that we should take that at face value mm-hmm. um so that was sort of like how i like what i what i took away from it but i'm still it, it's like the, because because the show i think and this is a smart thing doesn't really doesn't give you any kind of like you know this is the straight forward view of what is happening you kind of have to rely on um the self-interested beliefs of like the various characters it makes for a sort of like i think i think a genuinely tough dilemma in terms of figuring out like what was the right thing to do with regards to to these uh to these aliens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spencer okay so um by the time the finale came I was fully just vibing. I had made up my mind already that I liked this show. I was going to stay liking this show. I was simply not prepared to like think too strenuously about what I was seeing. And accordingly, I came away confused. I feel validated now um, hearing from all of you that this was a genuinely confusing sequence. My take of it kind of kind of looks like this and 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 i think this um jamel crystallized it in a way i hadn't quite which is which is that like we should be aware of how unreliable 
the story about the butterflies was from every stage of us learning about it, but might just very mm. well remain. Um, but the way I think we might look at it to unlock it is that like when you're typecasting, like as a superhero archetype, who Peacemaker is in the way that like, you know, you look at a character like Nighthawk, you say, oh, he's a Batman or Daredevil. He's a Batman. Moon Knight. He's a Batman. You look at Peacemaker and he's a Captain America. Mm -hmm. So we need to look at him as our friend Connor Goldsmith on the Cerebro podcast talks about as a flag suit character. And mm -hmm. that's where I like just found myself looking at, at John Cena and just seeing if that isn't like Captain America as he truly is. I don't know what else I could possibly see. Like here's someone who he's like truly psychopathic, just swimming in blood, ready to be used by really any, you know, government psychopath doesn't need to be in a position of like understanding what he's doing. He's, he's, he's simply a tool of violence. And with, being a with being a tool of violence comes the the kind of buffoonish rationalizations that he engages in and he might very well have like this you know sweet and tender heart um as as our christopher smith does i i just want to interject for a second in the middle of this rant that like i love john cena ever since i saw him in the Amy Schumer movie, whose name I can never remember. He was hilarious in it. He was, he was just like incredibly funny in the Suicide Squad. He's incredibly telegenic. Yeah. He's just like an absolute massive unit. How can you not, I think, regardless of your sexuality, enjoy looking at him? Um, James Gunn really like has you look at John Cena lustily in a way that I think has helped make this show probably unappreciated in its queerness or underappreciated in its queerness. And yeah. perhaps we'll all make up for that. But just to finish the point, this guy isn't seen by a hero in like catastrophic ways by anybody except his equally deluded psychopathic best BFF slash boyfriend vigilante and goth. Like it's, it's goth who in that scene is just like, thank you so much. I see what you were trying to do, even as everyone else saw you as a tool or a buffoon or a threat or mm -hmm. like your father, as he, as, as the, as Goff heard, I don't know what Goff's gender is as, 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 as they heard about it from the conversations that they picked up while they were in the jar. Um, yeah. But, but their peacemaker is seen the way he sees himself and desperately wishes the rest of the world to see him and whether Goff is using Peacemaker like so many others do or not, I think Goff genuinely gave Peacemaker what he needed in that moment and also just absolutely doomed themselves by misreading what Peacemaker fundamentally in fact is, which is he, as this tool of rationalized, righteous, patriotic violence, of course he's going to kill the cow. And then also, like America, is happy to keep Goff on a reservation where like, 
like like oh. no more no no more are they in danger of 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 you know coexisting with us on this planet. They can survive for as long as peacemakers' supply of their food lasts. And yeah. Goff yeah. is now um his prisoner. And if Goff expressed like a willingness to go along with that at first, I don't think it really worked out for them. Um and I don't really have a more coherent read on the end than that. That's really, that's really powerful. I mean, I, you know, the, the last, the last shots of the series really are, or at least the, what I focused on is Peacemaker sitting on the steps with Eagly, one of his pets and got, and Eagly who I would fucking kill for. Like Eagly is like, Eagly yeah, is my perfect. Very I love him eagle. so much. Eagly, and then his other pet now, Goff, right? You know, Gunn likes to use animals to humanize people. So that's sort of what what he's doing in that space. Um, but yeah, I, I in it's definitely really heavily trying to wrap the politics of the butterflies in with what Gunn defines as the political ethical struggle of Peacemaker, which is is it okay to just kill everybody until there's peace? You know, is, is it utilitarianism? Is this the right philosophy or not? And that the, the character art growth that Peacemaker has is to say, well, no, not everything actually is acceptable to have a positive outcome. So, I mean, it's definitely in line with what Goff is saying and how Peacemaker negates it, I feel like is in line of with how Gunn's political philosophy for the show is based on his character growth, if that makes sense. Um, that's, that's my read for it. I, I am very excited with uh, Leota Adebayo outing the Suicide Squad and then coming home triumphantly to her beautiful wife. That, that scene was so beautiful. It was nice to see the show be that invested in the romantic reunion of the lesbian black couple. Right. Um, yeah, it felt like, I mean, that, that, that to me, I, I couldn't help but read that scene, quote unquote, read that scene in the context of sort of like, you know, Marvel being like, we have a queer couple on screen. And it's like, eh, I mean, kind of, but not really. Um, <laughs> They're not texting uh, you anything like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it, it felt very sort of like, the mouse won't let you do this, um, uh, which I appreciated. There were so many of them else won't let you do this. I mean, yeah. Good God. It was the um, yeah, the threesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> like, such a quick scene. I was surprised by it because it was such like a quick cut to that. And I was like, I almost like didn't register what was happening. And then I was like, oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> I also think, I mean, regarding this queer representation question, Alana, I, I really appreciated your text about um, this reading of uh, Vigilante as potentially trans. Yes, um, let me, do you want to, should I read the tweet from my friend? Like, actually you can read, read the it? Tweet. I also found this really great supercut on YouTube of another trans person who was like, here is all of the evidence that Vigilante <laughs> is. <laughs> and so, there was some yeah. additional things in, on top of your friend's Twitter thread. And I was, this is the best. I love this. Rewatching okay. it today, I saw even more. So shout out to Ali Galactic, A-L-I underscore Galactic, who wrote the following, pointing out like, 
vigilante expressing Goff, are you here to put babies in us like an alien? And Goff is like, no, and vigilante is sad. Peacemaker's like, dude, you're mm. upset with that vigilante. How else am I going to experience motherhood? This, among many other moments, indicate that Adrian is an egg. Adrian also was willing to force themselves to get arrested just to gain access to Chris's dad so he could help him out and free Chris from his influence. If throwing your life away for the benefit of others isn't trans as fuck, I don't know what is. His ringtone is Barbie girl. It, you know, I was putting out watching it this time, like he's, he's very vigilante. He's like, you don't know if vigilante is a man or a woman when he's trying to deny who he was. Adrian doesn't need a denial beard because they have denial identity. So anyway, sorry, Kate, mm-hmm. please, please pick up where, where I, where I have petered <laughs> off. I, and this kills me because as much as I'm watching the whole show with a complete queer reading of everything, I had not seen this particular trans read. So God bless trans critics for calling this stuff together to my attention. So have, have yeah, at I mean, it. I- Honestly, like I, it's one of those things where I don't think it quite registered to me that that's what I was seeing. But I was like, oh, it makes sense. Vigilante is my favorite. I think one of the um, one of the things that this supercut on YouTube, which I mean, if you Google Vigilante Peacemaker Trans, you'll it'll be the first video result. Um, totally worth totally worth your time. The other one that that they picked out was the moment where. Uh, uh, vigilante is talking about about penis size and mentions that they went through puberty in their 20s and i'm like this is a joke that i tell all the time my late puberty <laughs> mm-hmm. and also for the uninitiated an egg is uh colloquialism about being a uh, trans person who's not out to themselves yet um Right. Thank yes. you, thank you for explaining that. For I, was, <laughs> I was like, I don't think a lot of people outside the queer community know what an egg is. I don't actually think a lot of uh, LGB folks might not know what an egg is. Yeah, appreciate pointing that. It, it, but I will say, though, that Spencer was the first person to contact me with very strong feelings about, I believe the text message said, peacemaker by confirmed, period, which was sent to me after episode seven aired. Um, what's interesting is I think that there's a complex dialogue to be had because, you know, on the one hand, because we need more bisexual psychopaths is great. But also the reasons that people put forth are that one, he has, you know, he has sex with Amber and vigilante. Uh, his dad basically keeps insulting him with the F slur and stuff like that. Uh, his passion for glam metal. And let me tell you, as a queer fan of glam metal, there actually is so much queer shit there. And yet there are not a lot of us who, like, if I'm going to go to a hair metal show, I'm, there are not that many other queer people there. So like, I, I wish that that were an explanation, that that was an indication. I feel like queer people, I feel like glam metal should be the official soundtrack of all bisexuals, but that is not actually the case in my unfortunate experiences. Uh, but it is certainly music that is, asserting you know that if you could be man enough to be a woman i mean god i fucking love peacemaker straight up saying that when when peacemaker says their pronouns are long live rock and roll i was like shit that's also mine and look i fucking know that most trans people do not need another pronoun joke but i know that that also resonated for a lot of trans rock fans um where was i going with this well uh go ahead spencer please (laughs) i don't like want to talk out of place. I can just my impression of of the of the character and the character's presentation. For forgive me if if like there's language for this in the queer community and I just don't know about it. But no, go ahead, please. There is a sense that resonated with me that what Gunn was trying to do 
was basically show a bunch of straights who are there for unironic love of John Cena, the wrestling hero, that you've kind of always been proximate to queerness. And there are certain ways, particularly class-based ways, that queerness, and I think wrestling is 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 among them, and like comic books as well, um, are queerness is allowed to be in a in a kind of twisted heteronormative way mm-hmm. in an acceptable boundary that you can be co- you can be like um, confirmed in your straightness, but still appreciate. But gun twists it around and shows you how like. What if you didn't have to be afraid or ashamed of that queer thing resonating with you? And that's kind of what I took from it with Peacemaker. Whether, you know, we we saw on screen that he has queer sex. I, I you know, there are lots of straight people, um, and I don't want to quote the biggie line, but there are lots of straight people who have had... You know, who lots of people, men who think of identify themselves as men, think of themselves as straight, who have had queer sex with another man and a woman and consider that not to be queer sex, consider that to be straight sex. And one of the things that I just think like would not have been done by accident, particularly given how this how this language sounds in in 2022 is that having his father who loads him make um as part of his tools of um subjugating him and, and humiliating him and, and showing mm-hmm. him his place be that he has sex with men or what you know whatever it is that um the um that that the T1000 um, like once walked in on Chris doing. Yeah, yeah. Like he interprets that as homosexuality. I want this to be read as a bisexual character. We know that Gunn has referred to the character as being omnisexual, which is apparently a thing that a lot of straight people use to like to talk about people who they view as having voracious sexual appetites in an indiscriminate way, but like whatever. You know, but this seems to be something that's coming from Cena's own read of the character, right? Um. You know, the thing is, you can also clearly see from people's responses to the show how many people did not, despite the show trying to make this very clear and trying to make people question, your dad is telling you that there's this one particular way to be a man, and that particular way to a man is basically abuse, and that this is actually the source of, you know, that this and racism that you've been raised in and the toxicity are like the source of your your problems. You know, I, I, I read the character as being queer myself, so, uh, but I think that there's a sort of frustration with the fact that we're always having to hedge a little bit in terms of the character's identity or if they say so it's is somebody who is kind of just portrayed as being sexually voracious and not actually you know having queer identity and the thing is you're sort of like well maybe we'll get it in the next season but actually based on the fact that they seem to be really setting up with hardcore which makes me feel really bad for her probably not sorry Caden, go ahead (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean it's interesting because i think the the fact that we're having this discussion to me is kind of neat just because i don't know i just i feel like there's a lot of ways in which i'm used to mainstream entertainment that includes queer characters really like whacking you over the head with how gay they are Hmm. um and being like you know having coming out moments 
things like that. Whereas the reality of, I think, lived experiences of queerness can be a much more ambiguous, right? That like, mm-hmm. it is this thing that's like, people may not name it as such or think about it as such in their, in, in the way that they think about themselves, but that like, the lived experience of being queer is not always, I'm going to come out of the closet, I'm going to tell people about my identity every time I meet them. It may actually be like, I have this desire I don't know what to do with, or I have this feeling about myself that like, just doesn't fit in with the framework I've been given. And I think that there's something really, uh, there's something really satisfying to me about being able to see that in the character and, and being able to see kind of in some ways like there's a lot of subtext there about his own struggle with it and like understanding himself right like that's what is going on in in his character arc i i I think it's it it feels like a very uh it's 2022 and and queer people don't have to come out trans people don't have to tell you their pronouns if they don't want to you know (laughs) like yeah this much more um actually inclusive moment for queerness uh, in some ways. Well, I, I'm really think it's exciting and um, you know, especially for its genre like that, the the show is so willing to sexualize Cena's body and just have that be an important piece of the show in those ways. Like there's lots of ways this is being transgressive from a presumed heterosexual male gaze for the show. And that is one of the things that's exciting with it. Um, But, uh, you know, and I hope I I was fully expecting, I literally was messaging people in distress. I was fully expecting that Adrian was going, vigilante was going to get, was going to get his ass killed in the finale, trying to save Chris and that therefore we'd never get the character again. And, you know, and I would have feelings and be a little bit resentful because they are, you know, a piece of shit, but fairly entertaining. But then when vigilante didn't die, I was like, I think the show is less invested in this character than I am <laughs> in some ways, that, but he's also so funny. They want to keep him around. Um, I, you, you mentioned Robert Patrick earlier and, you know, he's the Terminator. He's terrifying. And what a brilliant casting choice to have him as John Cena's insanely abusive KKK father. Sublime. Um, Literally someone you have only seen as a figure, like relentlessly inducing fear. How do you feel like the show handled, you know, if there's the whole phenomenon where you have white people making art in which characters have an excuse to say racist things, but it's just so that they, and, and, the, and people on the screen condemn it, but it's really, you can tell the person's just getting off on the, the transgression of it. This show didn't feel like that to me, but I'd love to hear from my guests or people of color. How did you feel like it handled the racism of characters who are racist? I I didn't get that Tarantino vibe. What you described is what I call the Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sort of the the uh, you know you the, you know the famous scene from or infamous scene from Pulp Fiction is a good yeah, example of it. The storage. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get that vibe. I, I I thought it did a good job of portraying the racism as actually being kind of pathetic, um, mm. as being sort of like sad shit for sad men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought, I thought, I mean, I, I thought Robert Patrick was really terrific in this. I was first just excited to see Robert Patrick. I don't think I've seen him in a thing in years. Um, yeah. so when he showed up on screen, I was like, is that the T-1000? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, um, no, I thought, I thought the show, 
I mean, it's funny because like I thought the show did a good. It, it, it did something kind of interesting, which is that the 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 clansmen, the um, the, was it the the white, white dragon, dragon. Yeah. white dragon, uh, is sort of like they're kind of rednecks. They're sort of like it's sort of stereotypical in that regard. They're kind of like red. They're rednecks. They're you know, seemingly unsophisticated, but then it's like no, Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick's character is apparently a genius inventor. Um, who has some sort of trans-dimensional storage facility in his home and uh, may be retrograde, but is but is very quite intelligent. And I think that's yeah. sort of an interesting way to kind of subvert that tr- trope of the of the redneck blue-collar racist a bit. Mm-hmm. Um not, I mean the 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 n- not not to the extent of like portraying them as sort of like a suit and tie type, which is, you know, and very very accurate as well. But at least sort of like uh, uh, trying to get audiences to understand that these people aren't necessarily stupid. They're just evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we have white supremacist Iron Man, basically. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, white supremacist Tony Stark. Eh, not quite, but. Um, not quite that good at his job, but still, yeah. But no, I thought I don't know. I I thought the show handled the racism pretty well and sort of like used it, used the um, gave you just enough of that stuff to let you know that these guys were like hardcore, but didn't like yeah. relish in it. There, there there wasn't like a lot of kind of you know, and it, there it was nothing was gratuitous. Vigilante just dumping his history of rock and roll music monologue on the racists in jail. I think is when I finally was like. I I feel so bad at how much I love this terrible, terrible person. And that speech had that feeling of like, James Gunn has written this for himself and this is him saying it. And he's like, I finally found a place where I can use this monologue and plops it in there. But God bless. What a beautiful troll and in, an educational educational speech for uh, a show that has a lot of preoccupation with rock music to make in that context. But yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Caden? I was going to say that the other interaction that I really like is between Detective Song and Peacemaker's father, where yes, they're like, he's like constantly calling her the sort of like almost cartoonishly racist things about her being Asian. And then she calls him the names of like random white men. Uh, Something about that is like deeply satisfying to me. It's so good. Um, and, you know, I, I think it really points up the absurdity of that kind of stereotyping. And it does, I, like, it, it, is disarming in some in that way, right? That it's like, if you think what Detective Song is saying in response to his his racist mocking and his, his racist and sexist mocking mm-hmm. um, of her and her job and her identity, um, it sort of gives the audience a, a second to kind of step back and be like, no, this is all this is all garbage. Um, and they're like. And it's not witty repartee, right? Like this, the thing that's funny about it is not that it's witty. The thing that's funny about it is, I guess, just how absurd it is, right? Oh, I, I wanted to bring up this question about the deep state um, that mm. keeps coming out. Uh, uh, that Augie Smith is kind of preoccupied with the deep state, and he accuses Peacemaker of participating in the deep state. But what's interesting is Peacemaker is participating yeah. in the deep state, right? In the sort of like post. Uh, Trump presidency world. Um, I I don't know. I I'm curious to hear what Jamel and Spencer also think about this because I I it's that is the other thing that I keep turning over and over in my brain about. You know what does it? It, it feels self aware in the sense that a lot of 
one of the tropes of a lot of superhero media in general is here are these super powered individuals who are kind of secretly working for the government, right? So this is something that comes back again and again. Um, and what does it mean that Augie Smith's right wing paranoia is kind of like rooted in reality in this fictional mm-hmm. universe? Um, and something like, what, I noticed in this view. I mean, something that I noticed in this rewatch is in the first time we see Augie Smith, he's watching Fox News or fake Fox News, he's, and the host is talking about butterflies already. The host, is yeah, like, the host yeah. knows. He's watching InfoWars, though. <laughs> oh, it's, I'm sorry. InfoWars, not Fox. Okay. But the point is that the, the, yeah. the, the right-wing nutbag knows that there is an alien invasion and is correct and is proven correct. And that's kind of like, ooh. Sorry. The Go thing- ahead, Spencer. Yeah, sorry. This is kind of my thing. Um, the fact that there <laughs> is an out of control security sector inside the American government that has distinct interests as like a self understood class, as defined by the enterprise of national security in which it is engaged, is a fact. It's not a right wing fantasy. It's not a left-wing fantasy. It's it's just the <laughs> way that it is. The I can tell you that the people who comprise this apparatus, the term deep state to them is fighting words. That they consider it deeply slanderous to be viewed that way. And the reason why is the supposed distinction between a deep state and a security apparatus is supposed to be the thing that Pakistan, Turkey, Egypt, the states that have like the classically understood deep states, um, security apparatuses that throughout periods of turmoil in state history will simply take over the functions of government. The difference between that and what we have is the rule of law, that there are all of these countervailing institutions in political history to say nothing of a constitution meant to determine that this apparatus, which has existed only really in its modern form for about 70 years, does not impinge upon American politics, does not impinge upon, does not impinge upon the decision-making abilities of a free people to govern and determine its fate. Um, And the problem that that class faces I would argue is the war on terror that it for 20 years has been not just um, an architect of, but a steward of, and along with the defense industry with which it is symbiotic, which is the closest thing that I think we have in America to state capitalism Mm -hmm. is the constituency for the, for the war on terror. And these past 20 years have shown that people in that security enterprise will not necessarily see themselves as taking a sledgehammer to the only thing that truly does separate, certainly in their minds, a security sector from a deep state, which is the rule of law. And they did that and they have to own it. And I think there is a powerful moment where hardcore is like so many people I've encountered allergic to the idea that she is part of a deep state. She then 
just rattles through what it is that she does for a living and then realizes like, "Eh, yeah, I guess this is kind of what they mean. They just need to be seen as heroic. And that is what I think unlocks a lot of the self-conception of a lot of Harcourts and a lot of people that think they're Harcourts but are much more like Merns. Um, There is an interesting Mm. question um, with both well, I think with 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 Leota Adebayo, it's kind of resolved by the end. But um, I'll say this, and then I should really shut up, because while I want to talk about this a lot, it is against my interest to do so. All I'll say is that there's, <laughs> there's an- You do there's have a, a comic coming out. There's a very interesting di- dynamic whereby it's clear that Harcourt, who is engaged in this enterprise, thinks that she is better than Amanda Waller. And I question that presumption. And that's oh, all. Oh, awesome. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I mean, I th- one of the things I wanted to hear your, you th- your thoughts about is this whole conversation, I think it's episode seven, where Harcourt, where like Leota is basically saying to Harcourt, like, so you're saying that our, our the only lives that matter are the ones who are the people who fight, beh- who fight besides you? And Harcourt is like, yeah, because, you know, Leota is the one who's so horrified and rightly at, Harcourt assassinating the former um, Secret Service officer in the first place. And, you know, it feels like Harcourt is just articulating the idea that soldiers, you know, this is very much the attitude of the cops, right? That soldier, these only people whose safety matters to soldiers are other other soldiers and the rest of us are not. Well, I I want to say that that I don't think that is actually a, a prevailing attitude amongst soldiers. Um, oh yeah, no, I just know about cops, but yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it is much more of an attitude expressed rather than claimed or articulated within people I have encountered who do intelligence work and who do the operational side of intelligence work. The way it's expressed is through a recourse to an ultimate objective usually an apocalyptic understanding of the necessity of any given action um, that uh, they take in a circumstance that they understand to be extreme. And once that understanding is in place, along with both the informal and personal license um, that you know, someone in that position enjoys um, to kill and to wreak havoc, um, it becomes an abstraction by necessity of it being an objective. And so the people who take on humanity and sort of matter in the way that um, Harcourt and Adebayo are discussing in that scene are the other people who do intelligence work on the same side or on the opposite side. They are seen and see one another in a way that, again, this kind of articulates very bluntly um, in a way that'll, you know, offend the pride of, of the people I'm talking about here. But nevertheless, that they are the actors of history and everyone who is not in that capacity are like, you know, either people to protect or people to eradicate. 
honestly, I thought that that exchange between Leota and Hardcourt was like probably the most politically radical thing the show did. W- what do you think, Jamel? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I didn't like th- this is an aspect of the show that I wasn't super attuned to, but I'll say that the show and James Gunn and the writers does appear to just be very have a very take a very um you know jaundice view of the you know task force at X of this entire enterprise and the the character of Adebayo, I have that name right sort of yeah. it really seems to exist among other things to be like to act as a critique of that even after you know even after she sort of embraces her birthright as Amanda Waller's daughter, you know, she she goes public with the existence of Task Force Ask X and you know demands some sort of accountability. So the show this the show and I mean I mean part of the part of the the arc for Peacemaker himself, right, is that he is he's brought in to be this killing machine, but he himself does not want to be a killing machine anymore. Yeah. Um and and so the whole show seems to be. I mean, it, it's sort of funny, right? The movie The Suicide Squad doesn't necessarily give have have a take on like the whole concept of a Suicide Squad necessarily. But then this show, which is in a lot of ways like a direct sequel to that movie, um, very much is. No, th- this is all terrible, um, and and shouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah. She's a great character and what a really good parallel for for Chris, really, right? They're both dealing with their terrible parents who are trying to shape their adulthoods. Um, their parents are terrible in very different ways, and I think it's one of the one of the reasons which they which they connect. Got a question? Is anybody else a big fan of the music referenced in the show, or was this newer to some folks? I know we're all kind of the same age, so we probably all kind of know some of the older stuff from back in the day. But, you know, there's a, the, one of the things I thought was interesting and exciting about the show was how many new glam metal or sleaze metal or whatever the kids want to call themselves these days, contemporary bands are used in it, which I thought was an exciting way of making sure that people understood this music as not just a time capsule, but a living genre. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm curious what folks' reaction to the the use of music for the show was, you know, whether you're like a big nerd about this stuff. I literally had an essay in women write about comics. That's all about the soundtrack. Go, go find my essay. I'm very pleased with it. I also made a playlist of two and a half hours of songs that um, I think Peacemaker probably listens to that are aimed to educate you, the listener about the music. This is just eighties glam metal that I put together on this list. I didn't even begin to touch contemporary stuff, but um. But anyway, I'd love to get folks' thoughts or reactions to the music. So I have no relationship with the music in this soundtrack. You have all the relationship. Um, and I think that's glorious. I won't try and, you know, play there. The, the, the My hair metal feelings are as follows. I have been proximate enough to metal in my life to have it be conspicuous that... Glam metal is always the thing that uh, harder and more austere and more brutal forms of metal is determined to eradicate. Yeah. And I don't, my, I, I have like uninformed, uh, inchoate, per, you know, I don't 
know if I really have like the chops to have it be like fully a queer critique, but you know, it is. That's, that's what mine. it seems like what's going on here. <laughs> like even to you know to, to to a straight um like myself. So that's really about all. You know, I like the I like I like Motley Crue's "Shout at the Devil" record. Um, I thought it was perfect for the vibe of the show, and like I don't have to appreciate or like the music to appreciate and like how it's used in Peacemaker. Hmm. I, I was just gonna say I have no particular uh, <laughs> thoughts on the music or anything. Did watching this make you more interested in listening to it? Or did you enjoy the songs that the sh- that the show used? I mean, I I enjoyed the songs that the show used just fine. But it's sort of like this is one of those things. Uh, glam metal. I mean, kind of uh, uh, this whole world of music in general is just like kind of outside of my experience it feels to me like something that like you kind of you either you get the bug when you're a kid or you don't and just as sort of like (laughs) someone who grew up in a black household among black people just like not a thing that i Mm -hmm. ever experienced you know as a kid in the 90s so um the music was fine i i had i i thought james gunn is very good at using music in his movies very good at the needle drop and so i could appreciate it on the level of filmmaking but as far as as far as any kind of like this encourages me to go listen to something independently, not so not so much for me. I sort of have like no. It's like how I feel about country music. No opinion, not really. I get why people mm. like it, not for me. Country music is a much broader genre than hair metal. Yes, surely there must <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just talking about kind of just like my feelings about it. Sort of like yeah. it doesn't inspire anything, you know. Kind of got it. You're, no strong feelings, me- really. Yeah. One of my hopes from the show was that like this wonderful moment where you have Peacemaker bonding with uh, Johnny Conamos over their shared love of Hanoi Rocks, who are kind of like a gateway band that were sort of bridging an earlier kind of New York Dolls feel with the hair glam metal scene, and then bringing their divert, racially and gender diverse crew of friends with them into also enjoying and appreciating that music felt really good to me because I was like, oh, this is a metaphor of making this musical space that is assumed to be hyper-masculine, but like gay, assumed to be for idiots, you know, like how comics are, and just dumb lugheads, and making it something which is embracing and welcoming to people who didn't think it was for them. So I, I kind of viewed the choice of glam metal as being like, okay, like comics, these are things that for a very long time, people of good taste said were for troglodytes only, and the troglodytes who these were for were for poor white men with no taste. But actually, you know, there not only is there a camp appeal, and there absolutely is, there was also artistry and beauty and things that are worth engaging with from them. And so D-list superheroes, like that is a glam metal soundtrack to me, you know? And I, think I, that's I do a perfect hope way that, of putting it. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I D-list do hope, superhero. and I have heard I from some that. young people yeah. in particular that they've gotten excited to check out the music through the show, which is why I made, you know, I made the playlist for the children to learn the things. Um, <laughs> so, Kaden, any thoughts on music? I mean, I feel like, I feel like the music, the soundtrack is like another character. Mm-hmm. In this show, which which again, you know, is you really point out, it's, it's very James Gunn kind of energy. I was just camping with my roommate, and I'm like wandering around the Sonoma Coast in California with "Do You Want to Taste It?" just like playing in my head. I can't get it out of my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's the effect of watching the entire season in a weekend, but um, it is there. It is like 
living rent free in my brain. Um, and I don't know, I don't have a super close relationship with glam metal and like harder, like harder rock in general. Mm. Um, but there is something about, I think the camp element that I'm like, this makes sense. This feels good. I like this. I'm into this. Um, and the way that, that the, the music is, is this additional character. Um, I just really appreciate it when, uh, movies and TV do that kind of thing. I just, I think it's so exciting that gun is going to basically give all these bands so a lot, a lot of the contemporary songs he uses are from bands that are from maybe 10 years ago, which, you know, I, to me is contemporary. He's going to give these bands a second life. And I've certainly seen the listens for a ton of stuff just from the older and newer just skyrocket as a product of the show. Fun fact, guys, choir boys who are, you know, pre- featured in episode one, one are such a deep cut that even I didn't know them. Um, which is crazy because this is my shit. They were also the only band I didn't know, but nevertheless, <laughs> but also fun fact, guess what choir boys original band name was the queer boys, um, which was changed when they tried to come to America, um, which I find fascinating. I actually don't think any of the members are queer themselves, but the point was that they were trying to be transgressive huh. in that way. Um, I can tell, so, punk, you know, I can tell you from punk rock, that that can go some unfortunate places. I'm glad yes. that in glam metal, in this case, it did not. Our community, no. well, I, sadly, yeah. can boast no such record. Well, I mean, there's a lot more popular queer punk bands than there are glam rock bands. Very but true. This is just a, but, but I absolutely do believe, and I can point to this, that so much of the heavier music scene's rejection of glam metal comes from homophobia. Like, it does. Anyway. And, so and thank like, you for, in, in, the mo- yeah. in the most, like, ISIS possible way, death to false metal. Like, what are we saying here? Yeah. Especially, especially coming from a band like Manowar, which is in bondage gear. Yeah, I mean, like, look, metal fashion is based on Rob Halford, who was literally a queer leather man. So. Yeah. We can just understand this. I think there was something Spencer had said to me about upon rewatching the show, being aware of myrrh and not being human. Oh, I, um, to, to, I I hadn't really, other than it being a wonderful performance from an actor I hadn't heard of before. Um, you you said that you felt like there was stuff earlier in the series with him that you were like, oh yeah, no, that's not a human. Um, to flesh flesh that out a little more. Sure. Um, I. For the reasons that like Caden articulated, um, right before the seventh episode, I just did like a full Peacemaker rewatch. I just loved it so much and I wanted to um, see what I had missed the first time around. And this time, because I knew the actor playing Mern was not actually playing the person who used to be Mern, but was playing a butterfly trying to be uh, Mern that some of that actor's, I apologize for not knowing his name's choices in like the way sometimes they would stare for just like a beat too long, not in a comic-y, not, not in like a comedic way or in an overwrought way, just in a way that could be interpreted once you understood that character is like needing very badly, very quickly to play as credibly human and 
like that's a real subtle acting job and i thought the actor who plays Mern, like the actor who plays judo master just stole every scene they were in yeah just eating those chips is fantastic let's talk about judo master okay yeah judo master's fights with harcourt are fucking amazing fights always um they're just absolutely fierce uh what what are folks' thoughts about the character and like kind of his story arc? What happened to him? I'm sure he'll be popping up again. Just wonderful. Like the energy is is like start to finish smoldering. Fuck you. Like Judo Master in a glam metal show is extremely punk. I appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Kaden, any thoughts? I mean, I one of the things I I kept thinking about was sort of judo master as this like i mean he is almost the like pro wrestling like character right that he's sort of like this over the top he like keeps yelling kiai (laughs) (laughs) before throwing himself at people the fact that people don't take him seriously because he's so small and then he like beats the living crap out of everybody that there is something like really he is super campy and also again i don't know there's this thing about the like asian characters sort of inhabiting certain tropes about asians that are like kung fu um martial arts master as like uh, a media trope of asians that like once again it's like here it is showing up in some ways there are parts of his fights that are also really slapstick so i don't know if that like t- takes the edge off that a little bit for me but i don't know it's, it it is, continues to be interesting to me how this show subverts a lot of my expectations of like this kind of treatment but like leaves enough of it in where i'm like i'm simultaneously there's there's a tension there for me with with the two noticeably Asian characters and the way that they are playing are are flirting with these stereotypes that are old and almost like pulpy, right? Like mm. Judo Master feels like a sort of like throwback character, right? There's this like I mean, he is uh, technically speaking, you know, it's a very yeah, old superhero yeah. character. And so, and and I, I I I don't know. I find that really interesting, and also that he's there as sort of like he is funny, also, right? Like the actor himself is really like. There's a lot of physical comedy in the way that like he plays the character. But I don't know. I don't know. I like. I I I have a very ambivalent kind of read on him. You know, I feel like the show is very careful to have the people joking about him focus on he's a leprechaun rather than talking about his like racial identity. And I thought that was like, I mean, I'm fucking white. So who cares? But for me, I was like, I feel like that was somebody making a very explicit choice to make sure that they weren't making it about his race, but is it successful? I don't know. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That stood out to me as like, definitely this was written into the script for a reason. Um, And also like, he really doesn't. He doesn't have any lines, does he? Aside from Kiai, like that's. I, He's about to explain why the butterflies are right. Oh, and right. Then, that is the moment. So he's he's the one who's pro butterfly agenda, who's not taken over, who genuinely is a believer in the butterfly cause. He also like mercilessly owns Peacemaker and Vigilante. Oh yeah, he kicks everybody. I mean, he just beats the no, fuck no, up. No, I just everybody. I just mean verbally. 
like oh, to, yeah. the, okay, to the yeah. to the point about like the lines they give him um and you know never have i seen an actor do more with a cheeto it's so good his background is in comedy actually he was on the andy kroll show before i guess oh that's cool um speaking of characters that go back ways in comics so peacemaker judo master i'm forgetting who else a few other people they're originally from charlton comics which got bought by dc brought into the dc universe but i to me the real reason we knew this was a dc comics show is because there were monkeys in it. And if it's a DC product, there's going to be some giant apes up to no good somewhere in the series because that's the default uh, monster for that entire comic book world. Um, Jamel, like you're, you're a DC guy. Like what, what are your thoughts about the show's sort of use of canon or not use of canon or the existing DC world? So I, I, I appreciate the use of sort of like d-list and below characters both because for the creators it obviously gives them a lot of flexibility you know no one's really no one's wedded to the characterization of vigilante so who cares um uh what you do with the with the character uh but the thing i actually have really liked about the show and its relationship to kind of the wider dc universe is how it sort of like people spoke and behaved as if they lived in a, in a universe of superheroes meaning mm. that like you know it was a thing people reference. It's a it's the thing people allude to and talk about. You know, having a having a a costume hero show up to a classroom is cool, but not like kind of so out of the ordinary that it blows everyone's minds. I don't know. I like I like mm. the extent to which the the show in, in a bunch of small ways like took seriously the idea that no, this is a universe where costume superheroes are a regular occurrence. They're a thing that people know exists. And so they relate to them and relate to people like them in particular ways. Yeah. The Aquaman flex fish thing. And like, he has like a snarky line about basically what all of the different bigger heroes than him are up to. Um, And it feels like that's the kind of stuff something like him would be doing but one of the moments that stuck with me is when he talks about superman having a poop fetish for a second i actually forgot that this in this show superman was real because like as comic book readers we will talk about like oh my god this character like don't you think that secretly this character is blah 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 like some completely far out thing that would never be confirmed but that like we kind of feel like is real so for the, there was this moment where they're talking about superman and i'm like haha and then I'm, oh no no superman is real that's an actual person who they're joking about um and so but as if that was kind of interesting like when are they shooting the shit about characters the way we talk about them as fans versus like this is being actual people who exist in the real world or like when hardcore is like fuck i'd rather be working with harley quinn than these assholes um although what's funny about the whole like uh nobody cares about these characters things is it seems like the actor who they get originally cast to play vigilante actually cared about the original vigilante character who basically was like a weak version of Punisher with a kind of cool costume design. Um, and he was replaced by Freddie Stroma, who plays Vigilante in the show after they'd already shot five episodes worth of content. Um, and they brought in a new actor to play Vigil- to play Vigilante because it was that important for the comedy beats to work. Um, and it seemed like the actor they'd cast had had some, like just didn't like the comedy direction that they were using for the character. 
obviously this is a great substitution because I think his performance is fucking insane. And one of those like, who are you? Where did you come from? This is so funny. I'm very impressed kinds of moments you have. I hope he's in a lot of other things. But um, that really blew my mind. They shot five episodes and then they had to reshoot those parts with him. That's wild. (laughs) Uh, the other thing about about your point about fandom, Alana, that I think is really I, I thought was really funny was like at the beginning of the series when Vigilante is like stoked to see that uh, Peacemaker is out of prison. Like he is such a fanboy, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he is he is the fan, um, and I think it it does lend to that moment of of uh, forgetting in some ways that that these other superheroes are in fact real. Um, and it, it makes me wonder, like <laughs> one of the questions I had about that, that was just sort of like a funny, like in world question is do, does Aquaman have fans who will defend him when people talk about him fucking fish? Like, you know, is this, mm. are, are there people, are there people who are fanboys like that in this world? Um, or is vigilante kind of like, uh, is he kind of like a one-off? Is there some, do people think that he's like a big nerd? <laughs> Aquaman's gorgeous. So I'm sure there's lots of people who absolutely would say, of course he doesn't fuck fish. Um, but I, I enjoyed him being cranky about people making that joke. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what other people's reads were. I thought it was very funny. <laughs> I'm a big long-term green, green, green arrow fan. And they're like, uh, he's like, he's a brony and this and that. And I was just thinking like, if green arrow heard that he would think it was funny and would probably elaborate and make it actually more disgusting and weirder. Like and how these people I also to want it. to note that while, uh, peacemaker makes fun of green arrow for being a brony. He is the one in a later episode who is able to name check twilight sparkle. And don't think I didn't see that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. All the characters are very pop culture savvy, but he certainly, I mean, because they're written by gun, you know, but yeah, he certainly has that in there as well. Um, any, any, is there any other thoughts about this show in relation to existing in a superhero universe guys? Is I, I have one thought about him as Captain America. Do, do other people have thoughts about him as Captain America or the future of the series that you want to chime in with now? I certainly noticed I certainly noticed that the time the only time we see at least I think peacemaker fighting with the shield a la cap is in the finale like he's right. kindly come into that particular mantle I really hope that I I love Danielle Brooks's performance so much uh, but I hope for the sake of Leota that we never have to see her again do you know what I mean like please like you and your wife run away be free um yeah, it gets a work-life know. balance. Jeez. Yeah. Like, this is just, <laughs> just because she's good at this and she developed her self-pride doing it, like, I just don't want this to, I don't want this, this, this reality for her, you know? Like, this is not, this is not a good, a good place for her to be. Any thoughts for where you want to see season two going, Jamel? I, you know, I don't have any thoughts. I'm, I'm very bad at that kind of like, you know, thinking about where things should go. I sort of am happy with how this first season concluded. I hope that they can continue to, you know, advance the Peacemaker characters, like personal growth, which I think is sort of the strongest part of the series that um, John Cena um, 
acted the hell out of that character and really oh, yeah. sold um, a, a degree of, of real personal growth over the course of the season. I hope that can continue. And I would like to see everyone, that the gang, back together again, just because I think that they all have really incredible chemistry. But as far as, you know, as far as, you know, plot stuff or story stuff, like, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, if they can figure out some conceit that gets everyone back together again, I will be, ha- I'll be happy to watch it. Fair enough. What about you, Kaden? I, I'm kind of with Jamel on this. I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to be surprised and delighted by season two in the same way I was surprised and delighted by season one. I want to see, I want to see these people together being ridiculous and fighting their enemies and doing cool stuff and yeah. making me laugh while they do it. Yes, absolutely. I, you know, like I said in the start, I didn't want to have a redemption arc show about white supremacist male superhero. I was like, this is not what I need in my life. And then here I am really enjoying this story. So when I end this, our podcast saying, I really don't want him to have a relationship with Harcourt. And I know the show wants that to happen. I guess they'll find some way to make me be okay with that since they seem to be all about making me be okay with things I didn't (laughs) want to be okay with because the show is that well made. With that, I really want to thank my guests for joining me. This is really my my, my all-star squadron to quote a different DC comic, please groan. Um, (laughs) So uh, let our listeners know where's the best place to keep up with your work online, Jamel, including your exciting podcast. Sure. So uh, I'm a columnist uh, for the New York Times. Uh, you may have heard of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, people have their opinions about our opinion page, but my work is pretty good. Hell and, yeah. Um, <laughs> you can find me there usually on a Tuesday or on a Friday. That's where my column runs. And then I have this podcast uh, called Unclear and Present Danger about the political thrillers of the 1990s, your movies like Patriot Games or The Russia House or air force air force one you know we talk about those movies uh, my friend and i my friend and co-host john gans and we try to uh use them to talk about the politics of the 90s and then you can just find me around on social media i'm on uh twitter i'm at jay buoy i'm on instagram I'm at jay buoy i'm on tiktok now i don't Ooh. even know what my handle is really i think it's just jamel buoy um but i have a mostly active tiktok so if you want to check that out that's exciting. Kaden? Um, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is just at Kaden. Um, and that's that's probably the best place to look me up these days. Fair uh, enough. Hanging out on Twitter and lurking for the most part. Looking forward to seeing where your organizing work shows up next. I like basically just tried to sell you on a particular job. So let's see if that happens. Um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Spencer? AKA at attackerman of Twitter. Yes, though I am making a concerted effort to not use Twitter uh, any more than I have to in 2022. So you will most likely find me on Instagram uh, at attackerman. I have a Substack called Forever Wars that is where I'm going to be doing the majority of my journalism through this summer of 2022 later this year i am co-writing with my friend evan narciss who wrote an incredible series called rise of the black panther for marvel so good. um as yeah. well as um worked on the playstation miles morales spider-man game um a 
Suicide Squad miniseries for DC Black Label. I'm extremely excited for that. It's very literally a dream come true. And I've kind of put all that you kind of can't say in nonfiction about the kind of journalism you will find in my, if I may say so myself, very well-received book, Reign of Terror, how the Mm -hmm. 9-11 era destabilized America and produced Trump. If you're interested in what I say on podcasts like this that intersect with both national security and comics, here is where I finally put my money where my mouth is. And I'm very excited for that. It'll be out later this year. I I know that right now with the news, these are things that I think a lot of people are looking for more information and support from. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't have any national security journalists from the left to follow. Like that wasn't, I, I didn't know, or at least I didn't know where to look. And so I'm really happy that we have a resource like you that I can point people to. Well, thank you um, so much. As for me, I'm on Twitter actually a lot too much, uh, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Um, please check out my piece on Peacemaker at Women Write About Comics. I think if you just look up Peacemaker under Women Write About Comics, you'll see it. it includes my Peacemaker educational playlist. I am also hoping to have a piece that'll probably be over there about Peacemaker and masculinity, which is something I meant to talk about more on this episode and we didn't. This just shows you there's so many layers to get into. Anyway, thank you for listening to the show. This is Graphic Policy Radio. This is what we do. And as I like to say, keep it geeky.